There's a whole crowd of men out there who need this. Welcome to the case study. This case study will be marked down in time. Known to all as the record keeper of the historic rise of the woke man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, welcome, gentlemen. I don't know if any women will be listening to this, but quite frankly, I don't care. What I want is to see the change in man. Yes, that's hurt. The change in man. This is the Woke Man series, where you hear the stories of men who changed, who laid to rest their old ways of thinking, and who opened up and started expressing their truth. Revealing emotion, strengthening their self-awareness, and breaking free from the old paradigm of being a man. This is going to help men find the courage to open up, to break the shackles of toxic masculinity, and to guide them home in becoming a better man. Let's go. Oh, by the way, it's Luca. Luca Reedy from the Feeling Alive podcast. And The Woke Man is a sub-series. You're welcome. Welcome back to The Woke Man series. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest case study on man. We were looking at the conscious journey. Now, you've been following for a while because we are at 63 of this series. 63 conscious men have been here and shared their story. And for those of you who are yet to take this path right now or are a little bit nervous, a little bit scared, wondering if there is a solution to those problems that you're facing, please tune in, continue to tune in, and just so you know, you're not alone. Now, the men that we're interviewing have been in the exact same place you are now, and there is a way out. And without further ado, I'm going to be speaking to another beautiful man to share his journey, Mr. Nick. Brother, how are you? I'm doing really well, really, really well. Thank you. We spent about 20 minutes chatting beforehand and um, talking about a lot of mindset and the difference between self-discipline and self-love. So I hope that comes back around and we can maybe touch on that. It's pretty hot in my life uh, at the moment for sure. Now, the first question I have for you, sir. (laughs) Yeah. Where did you grow up and where do you live now? (sighs) Uh, The smart ass in me is like, I'm still growing up, but... (laughs) I was born in London, Ontario, Canada, grew up mostly in Toronto and lived um, around there through my youth. Um, I'm currently in New York, but I've spent the last 10 years in Asia. I was in South Korea for four and a half years. I was in India for about six months and then Bali for five and a half years. Mm, mm. So I, to... I, I've just landed back in North America. How does it feel to be back in the Western world? Well, it's pretty wonderful, honestly. And people constantly talk about people on that side of the world, expats on that side of the world, constantly talk about reverse culture shock Mm -hmm. of of coming back to North America. But for me, I live in a general state of wonder. And so it's been fascinating and entertaining for me to come back in this time in history with the American election is coming up which is a fairly heated thing. Mm. 2020 has been an odd year in general. And um, right from the start, I found it to be a fascinating 
look at our species. Mm. And, and so being in a place like New York at this time in history is exciting for me. Mm. That's beautiful, man. It's, I guess that you get to a point and, and maybe you have too, is like you get to a point where you start to objectively see things. And cause I know, you know, at the start of this conscious journey, we can become so immersed in the experiences that we're having in our life or the challenges. And so many people would say that they couldn't go back to New York after living there, you know, in, in Asia, especially in Bali for five years. Sure. So do you find that you've got this natural sense now in you that looks at your experiences in life objectively? It's interesting. The, the first reaction that I had when you talked about the objectivity is that it's almost like I've gotten better at noticing how subjective I am mm -hmm. and that's allowed the objectivity. So I don't know that I necessarily have uh, the, the, the whole observer element uh, mastered, mm -hmm. but because I, I do a pretty good job and, and maybe this counters that statement, but I do a pretty good job of noticing how, um, how biased I am and how judgmental I am and noticing all of the human qualities come up. Mm -hmm. And so I tend to catch them before most other people catch me. Mm -hmm. And I think that gives the feeling that I'm objective, mm -hmm. but internally I feel like it, it's a, it's a constant stream of subjective reactions i love that it's interesting how you, how you catch yourself being subjective and that's i guess what you've been working on all these years and that's what i think we all develop start to develop self-awareness it's like the reaction time gets reduced so i love that you shared that man thank you well, for someone that. shared that with me years ago right i was assisting on some transformational program and and uh it was a i'd done a bunch of these in many different um roles but this one was interesting because a lot of people showed up kind of grumpy like that like they felt pressure to do it or something and so the the person on stage was having to handle a lot of really um pointed directed grumpy energy and so during the first break i went into um the sort of private office room or whatever that this person had for the break and asked them how how were they dealing with it with such grace because i'd never really seen anyone handle a barrage of i just keep saying grumpiness uh, but it was a little bit more than that i've never seen anyone handle it so well and he said that he plays a game with himself that he chooses who he's going to be and he notices when he gets hooked or triggered and he unhooks before anyone else notices and if they do notice, if anyone else points it out, then he lost the game and he starts playing again. And I loved how light he was being about it, right? It's like, oh, I lost, start playing again. Not like yeah. I lost and now I'm a bad person, right? It was yeah. just the, the commitment to who he was choosing to be was the highest thing. But there was a, a deep level of humanity inside of that for me. Mm. And so that's something that I think I, I um, aspired to and my reaction time's improved. Certainly not <laughs> always amazing. You're not a professional athlete in this sense. <laughs> I mean, I, this I have, yeah, I think I think the scouts see the the potential and the possibility <laughs> for me to go pro. But, uh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, I love that game. I'm gonna I'm gonna start to see it that way too. It's a good way to put it. Mm, how, how, like that. how old are you now, Nick? Um, I am almost 42. I'll be 42 in a few weeks. 
Beautiful. And what are you doing for a living? I'm a coach and podcaster. Mm. That's what I do. And you just got back into your podcast after taking a year off, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I mean, it's easy to say that I was, I was injured. And so that's why uh, I took a year off, but honestly it was sputtering before that I was, I was dealing with a bunch of um, weird drama in a, in a relationship that I was in. And then Mm -hmm. that brought up all kinds of old trauma from before. And, and just over a year ago, I got injured in a major way. I I, uh, fractured my skull in a weird accident. But two months before that, I did a big trauma release process. And so this last year has been amazing because as I recovered from the physical injury of cracking my skull, I noticed how internally I wasn't the same, that the trauma Mm -hmm. release and and clearing process actually worked. And so Mm -hmm. it allowed me to release a whole bunch of old patterns. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so all that said, I I feel excited because I've started publishing the podcast again and and getting Mm -hmm. back to things that's beautiful brother um, and we'll definitely dive into that that accident and, and talk a little bit about what evolved through that process for you a bit later what in the meantime brother what's one thing that you're really good good at <laughs> excellent at being humble um the huh. it's funny because i've i've struggled honestly people have said things like I'm the person with the highest emotional intelligence they've ever met. And all I can think of when they said that was of all the times where I didn't show that Mm. people have talked about how on stage I have a presence that is captivating and how Mm. I could teach even just that. And then I think of all the times where I haven't had that, the times where I've gone on stage to do public speaking and I wished I could turn the power off in the building or pull the fire alarm or why on earth did I say yes to this? Mm. And so it's, it's interesting. What am I good at? <sighs> One of the things that's been called my superpower is an ability to see the potential in people and have them see it as well mm-hmm. and then live into it. Mm-hmm. And so mm. I think I'm excellent at seeing people's strengths, even when they're in a weak state mm-hmm. and reflecting it back to them where they see that potential in themselves and they can start being it again. Mm-hmm. So I don't see people in a weak state as weak people. Um, I see powerful people having a weak moment. Mm-hmm. And so that's something in my coaching that, and just my life, um, that has come up a lot. Yeah, as, as something that people remark on. That's beautiful. Seeing people not as having a weak moment, but uh, being a weak person, but having being a powerful person having a weak moment. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Isn't that powerful? I love that, man. I can definitely what I found is like because of so I mean this is this is always a fun one to to do on basically radio but because of my size I'm six foot six two hundred and twenty something pounds I have often been viewed as big and powerful and a leader and I have this voice and and so when I've struggled people haven't always noticed. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've realized later in life that I'm quite good at is seeing people who on the surface look really strong Mm -hmm. and seeing their tenderness and being able to speak into their humanity 
because a lot of people of that ilk don't have time and, and opportunity often to have down moments because often people see anyone having a down moment as now broken or fractured or wrong. Mm. And so my ability to still see them as strong and wonderful, but having a moment uh, allows them to go through processes that they don't seem to be able to do normally. Mm. Mm. So that's who I really work well with. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. What's one of your biggest fears right now? (sighs) Um, (laughs) It's... It's funny, I've been looking a lot at the micro and the macro, the individual and, and the collective. And so when you asked me that question, both came up. But it's that I won't live into my potential and that our species won't. And it's probably guaranteed that both are, both are true, right? That I won't live into my potential. But I, I believe that there is a God spark, an element of divinity in each individual. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what that is. I'm not religious, but there's something that occurs to me as divine about humanity. And I see it in individuals, right? You and I are are both human males, but we're very different, Mm -hmm. even though we have shared values and some shared thoughts and, and, Mm -hmm. and beliefs. And so what is that, right? And, and how can we amplify that to be the, the most us that we can be? And yeah, for so much of my life, I've muted that, mm. toned it down for whatever reason, many reasons. And as a species, I've been seeing that humanity is operating the same way that an individual does. Mm-hmm. an individual who doesn't have clear goals and is carrying trauma. And so I've, I've been very uh, curious around how to help humanity transition and heal mm-hmm. and looking at uh, ways to apply essentially my coaching program, but on a grander scale. So I've got this project cooking in my head around that, but my fear is that um, we'll just keep, like chaotically bouncing around and not living into that divinity. So I see, yeah, so your divinity, you're scared to not touch your divinity, but also the collective not reaching theirs. And so you feel obliged to reach your divinity or to tap into that so you can help others tap into their own. It feels like a life worth living. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like a privilege more than anything. Mm. We've been granted a life to take care of from birth till death. Mm. And I often will ask people if we were, if, if someone put a life in our arms and said, this is yours to nurture, what would you want for it? And people say, Oh, I would want it to feel loved. I'd want it to feel empowered. I'd want it to feel vitally important. Mm. And yet so often we're not doing that for ourselves. And so that is where it feels essential that I, I walk the walk or walk the talk or whatever the expression is, um, because I have been granted me to care for from birth to death. And mm-hmm. so what if now is the starting line mm. next? Yeah, what's next? <laughs> I love that, man. Thank you for sharing. What's one of your favorite quotes? 
Oh, um, I mean, I've sort of been hinting at, at uh, one of them. So that quote from Marion Williamson that's often attributed to Nelson Mandela because he used it in his inauguration, our, our deepest fears and that were inadequate or deepest fears that were powerful beyond measure. I had that on my wall for years in my kitchen. So I'd be there cooking or doing the dishes and I'd see it. And it's like my brain couldn't comprehend the second half of it. Mm. And then one day it clicked and I looked at it and it says like, we're here to make manifest the glory of God that's inside of us. It's not just in some of us, but it's in all of us. And as we give ourselves permission to be, we unconsciously give others permission to do so as well. Mm. And I think that's, that's what we're here for. Right. So that's what I was hinting at before. And, and that's mm -hmm. what comes up. It's a hot topic, isn't it? For you, it so. seems like it's like a theme in your life, even to have that quote sitting on your, on your wall and to have that feeling mm -hmm. in you. It's like, that is it. If you go out, if you choose to go after it, right? Well, I can't figure anything else is the point, right? To make more money. Yeah. Well, I mean, people make money, lose money die and leave money to people they may or may not like. I mean, I think money is, is a powerful tool, right? To what? I mean, we, we've been pillaging the earth. We're leaving it worse than we found it, right? I think we can be doing better. I think we need to raise our standard as a species and as individuals. And so there is a, a fierceness that comes up. And I think it's, it's love but there's a fierceness that comes up inside of that for me because I think that's the point. I think that's why we're here to make manifest the glory of God that's inside of us. Mm -hmm. And again, it, it shows up in different flavors. If you don't like the word God, call it whatever you want, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not attached to that part. What I'm attached to is that each one of us has something to, to bring. And so bring it. I love it, man. Bring it. What's the conscious man to you, Nick? Yeah, it's a <laughs> big question. It's a, it's a big question. And it's, it's funny because it's one of those words conscious that often gets used to the point that I think I'll, I got judgy around it, honestly. Like I said, I was living in Bali for years, mm. living in Ubud. And some people are conscious there and some people aren't. And we'll mm -hmm. talk about conscious relationships and like and what it feels like is an excuse to to be unconscious when some people talk about it mm. i think having a relationship where we are bringing awareness to what is that's it for me right constantly relating relating back to what is and then we get to choose is this what we want mm -hmm. that's how i see it yeah Bringing awareness to what is. Mm. Most people don't know. Like, so my, my brand is called Life Athletics, right? And so it's looking at life like it's a game or a sport. And I like to, to know what are your rules? What's a win for you? How do you score in your game? Mm. And most people don't know. Right? Most people are very unconscious and living inside of some predefined kit of what mm. they think a relationship is supposed to be or yeah, what life is supposed to be. Mm. And so what I, what, what excites me is bringing people into a, an awareness of their game, mm -hmm. right? What I say, my purpose 
on the planet is, is to live into a world where everyone is firmly on their path and actively leveling up to their full yes life, mm-hmm. whatever that is. It's not about perfection. It's being on the path and actively leveling up, mm-hmm. right? In a direction. And so for me, being conscious means you know what direction you're heading, right? You know why you're opening a door before you turn the handle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true, man. It's interesting because I, I definitely can, my greatest lesson was living in a wood for six months. Um, mm. And to have that exact same experience and to realize, wow, I was doing the exact same thing. I was doing a lot of bypassing by going there in the first place to, um, you know, be around my people and running from the people that were literally helping me go deeper within myself, but I was avoiding it. And they were, you know, the triggering people back in, say, in Australia or the environment, you know, I talk about this recently about, you know, everyone wants to escape the matrix, but the matrix is where the real spiritual work belongs. And that's where it's needed. Um, And hence, I'm back here in Vancouver. Um, But it was a huge lesson. So I totally resonate with what you just said. And to that point, I was like, it's funny because I lived in Changu for six months and then Ubud for the first six months, Changu for the second six months. And when I was living in Ubud, I could only go down to Changu for one day and I was like, I've got to get out of here. This is too much. Yeah. And and then I'd go back to Ubud. <laughs> and, then, and then I would end up, couldn't, at this end of the six months, I'm like, it's time for us to leave. It's time for us to go to the ocean, go to Changu. And my partner was at the same point. She's like, yeah, it's time. And we went back down there and it was incredible. We loved it. And we it was just the most amazing thing. So it was a huge shift after we realized that. I was like, far out. I'm running from something here. And as soon as I guess the observation of within me said, take responsibility for that, go back in there, I could handle Changu. I love Changu. It's almost like I couldn't handle Ubud. Um, and for, for people who don't know, right, Ubud is sort of seen as this hippie mecca of uh, raw food and yoga and spirituality. Mm. And Changu is more of the surfer, digital nomad uh, beach scene. Mm. And people in Changu actively judge people from Ubud mm-hmm. and people in Ubud actively judge people from Changu. And it's this weird dynamic because I feel like a bridge between the two worlds. Mm. And I was running a men's group in Changu and living in Ubud and, and, was quite comfortable doing those things. But I always thought it was funny because what a lot of people in Changu would benefit from is a little bit more Ubud. And people in Ubud would benefit from a little bit more Changu. And I think it's often that way in the world. Mm -hmm. And people instead swing to extremes. Mm. Um, Incredible. hmm. Totally, man. Swinging to extremes. I think there's a lot to say to this about balance and harmony and trying to just see both worlds and to do your best existing, I guess, in both, if that's what you want. But that, that's where I'm at, at least. That's where I'm at. Well, speaking of balance real quick, I think people misunderstand balance and think that it is uh, neutrality. And for me, balance, I mean, we're both wearing these these big headphones and, and um, I mean, you look more like a DJ than me, maybe <laughs> with a hat. But, um, but I think of balance as an equalizer on a big stereo or mixing board Mm -hmm. where there's different sliders up and down and finding your levels, Mm -hmm. that's your balance. How much energy do you want to put into which area of life? Mm -hmm. And 
what I find when I take people through my process is that sometimes a level down is a level up, right? Some people are spending so much energy in their areas of strength that there's nothing left for anywhere else. And they can take it down a notch or two, still be really high level globally, but have, have more capacity in other areas of life. Mm. And so finding balance for me is, is saying, like, who, who do you want to be? Mm. Who do you want to be? It's a good question. Yeah, using the, the life athletics now. concept again, it's like someone might want to be a power lifter. Someone might want to be a marathon runner. Right. So if someone comes into the gym and says, I'd like to get fit, I think as a trainer, it's your duty to say, what does that mean to you? Yeah, totally. Right. Because totally. balance, right, isn't what everyone's after in terms of like neutrality. Mm. Right. What's some people fit? want to be able to lift a house. Yeah. <laughs> some people yeah. want to be able to run for a day. Yeah. Right. So true, man. I love that. Mm. What's one thing that's challenging you right now, Nick? Oh, um, Hmm. I mean, a big one, it's hard to even put into words, but it's, it's something that I felt after I woke up because I, I cracked my skull, but I have no memory of that. And I woke up a week later in the hospital, tied to the bed, feeling intense gratitude, right? I was alive. My, my little brother flew from Canada. I didn't know that immediately. It just was in this confused state, uh, high in morphine, I think. But, um, but yeah, I was filled with gratitude and almost immediately a sense that I wasn't trying to recover, mm -hmm. that there was a new me that I was building towards, that I was going to shoot past what had been my normal before. And so that's, that's a challenge because even, even earlier when I talked about clearing a bunch of old trauma, I think I used to have this idea that when I got to the other side of that stuff, well, then I'd have it all figured out that I would just be unstoppable and unleashed. And the truth is I have next to no experience of being anything but in that trauma state in my life. And so having to invent and embody the me that I want to be kind of from scratch is, is the challenge. So some things from the past work, that's wonderful. Wow. And there are certain areas that I've been carrying around almost to, to validate some story of not enoughness. And I don't have that story anymore. So I get to be successful, but I don't have the tools in place because mm. I, I just didn't before. Right. So I didn't suddenly, <laughs> I didn't suddenly manifest a whole bunch of good habits in those areas. Um, and so that's been the, the challenge is feeling unlocked. And, um, and really basic and low level in certain areas. Do you just, feel like, yeah. do you feel like now that you've had an, obviously a new opportunity with life that mm. there's more, there's more, so you were sort of not living into what was true for you back then. And, and, and you've just sort of shaking, getting rid of stuff that just does not like, was it really, I guess you can say not really serving you because it all was, but more so, finding spending more value on or spending more time on things that are really true to you now and have you like had to let go of things what what's what's that process been yes, like? all, all of that yes yeah it's, it's funny I, I i really loved the inner monologue or dialogue that you had with yourself in terms of 
Well, it wasn't that it wasn't serving you, but like what part of me wasn't serving, <laughs> yeah. right? For a long time, I was like, how I say it again with the jargon of life athletics is everyone in life is playing a game and everyone's winning the game that they're playing. And for years I was playing, am I allowed to curse on this show? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Great. So um, I was living the, I'm a piece of shit, waste of potential game for years of my life. Right. So on the outside, it looked like I was building up to some grand something or other, but internally I always felt like a piece of shit, waste of potential. Mm -hmm. And so I would validate that in a bunch of different ways. How would you validate that? Um, not following through with opportunities that were presented, um, drawing people into my life that would just wear me down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah, there, there's just so many ways to, to make those statements true internally. Mm -hmm. People call it sabotage. I've Mm -hmm. just found it to be more powerful to say, no, that's the game I was winning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause that puts me in the driver's seat makes me responsible, but it's not about blame. It's about responsibility. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, those are just a couple examples of how I would, I would prove that game true. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I would also dismiss the wonderful things that people said about me around the world and and cling to some story from distant past often or some minor mess up Mm. as being more weighty and worthy of my attention and so it's fun to be on the other side of those things and to observe and and let go but um but yeah that's some of the stuff that i was doing before Remind me of the question. I got <laughs> sort of um, angled off there. Where were we? I think we sort of went down a, a, another path of... A little rabbit hole there. We went down a little rabbit hole. We were just talking about your challenge of getting rid of stuff that didn't serve you. Yeah. So that was a big thing coming out of my injury. Yeah. Was that I felt like this new me... And then I had to step back into a version of my life made by an obsolete version of myself. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the, there were people who didn't belong in my life anymore. Mm -hmm. Right there. I mean, this one's a little rough to talk about because an ex-girlfriend was brought into the situation to help. Mm -hmm. She was the one who knew how to contact my mother, for example. and, And she stepped up huge. Uh, while I was unconscious and and I'll be forever grateful. Mm. And we did not bring out good things in each other. Mm. And so it was four years of trying and just feeling reduced Mm -hmm. internally. Mm. And so, yeah, I let her in again for the last time uh, after the injury and and just had to realize that doesn't serve and it was really one of the things of um that showed me how much that trauma release worked was seeing how i wasn't attached to having that energy in my life anymore Mm. right the part of me that was served by having that constant wearing down Mm -hmm. didn't exist inside of me anymore Mm. and so i was able to unhook and step away Mm, that's powerful man I mean, mm. 
it's it's nice because i mean it was an accident that caused that but it's nice that if we could make that decision from a more empowered place without something bad having to happen to us to do that and i guess that's what we can put this attribute this conversation to for the people that are listening is that it doesn't have to be an accident it doesn't have to be a um, a significant shift in your life it starts with you know, what do you want? What do you want to have in your life? What's important to you? Where do you want to be? You know, like those questions you were asking before. You know what it takes though? It takes a willingness to amplify feeling. It has to be worth something to shift, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's really a challenge because old self fights for survival. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't have to be some, some big dramatic skull fracturing experience to shift, Mm. but because so many people are numbing themselves Mm -hmm. in a myriad of ways, whether it's through substances or social media or television or kind of just anything, right? I mean, so many people can't walk down the street without music playing or a podcast playing or an audiobook or something, Mm. right? allowing ourselves to be bored is important but it but what i'm getting at is we need to make decision decisions like that from an amplified emotional place we need to actually back it with mm-hmm. feeling mm-hmm. of like no fucking shit this is the line yeah 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 right i'm drawing a line here and i will change yeah and it takes a lot to impose that level of um, shift on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It tends because it, it tends to come bef- like you said, a low period because you want to amplify mm-hmm. the current feeling that you've got, or you want to have a better feeling than what you currently got. Which is, you know, the hero's journey, I guess, if you look at it that way. This is the pit, yeah, and, and rock it's, bottom. It's funny, yeah. And the 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 thing is, like the first time I went to India, I realized that we can't actually rely on rock bottom. I love India. My dad lives in India. He's been there for almost 20 years. But first time I went there, I realized that humanity will endure all kinds of awfulness. Mm-hmm. People dying in the street. I had to wear a mask because was, the air wasn't breathable. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, no, we can't wait for it to get bad enough. We have to say, this is my baseline. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go below this. And honestly, it's really hard for some people who are already doing well. Right? Again, these are some of the people that I do the best coaching with because no one else talks to them. They roll out of bed, impressive to most of the world, mm-hmm. but they know that they're underperforming to their capacity. Mm-hmm. But it's so comfortable already mm-hmm. that there's no point in stirring all that up. Mm -hmm. right but a lot of those people are deeply unhappy Mm. a lot of them Mm -hmm. so to be able to say this is my baseline and now i move up yeah and not have to have something impose that on us is Mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's a big thing it's available for all of us Mm -hmm. but we have to choose it i love that the baseline the baseline Mm. it's a good perspective thank you What's unconditional love mean to you? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It's 
<laughs> I, I want to quote um, a buddy of mine. He and his wife did a video. So, um, shout out to Preston Smiles and Alexi Panos. But they did a video where they talked about how love is unconditional, but relationships aren't. And I really loved that idea. Because unconditional love, I think, is, is what we are at our baseline. And where a lot of people um, balk at loving unconditionally is they think that they have to be locked in for life in situations that might be harmful. Mm. Right? It's hard, like with, with the ex that I was talking about, to be in a loving space with someone that I feel hurt by. Right. But to realize, oh, I don't have to be in a relationship with her. Right. She's lost that privilege, but I can still love her and wish her the best. Mm -hmm. Right. So unconditional love for me is that ability to see, even though there are traits and qualities about someone that I might not like, I can still love them. Yeah. And in some part it's because it's who I want to be. There's a selfishness to it for me, honestly. Mm because it allows me to be who I want to be. It's not all just about them feeling loved, mm. right? That person might never hear from me again, honestly, but yeah. Yeah. And is that, because, I think because of the, 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 your perspective and the way you, in your philosophy on life, you see it like that. Um, is it, is, is, would you say that unconditional love in that sense is more so like it can be challenging as well as rewarding? Is that sort of where we can allude to on that? That that person is challenging you, but also deep down calling you to rise? So I'm, I'm having an inner struggle with that one because there's like three different directions I want to go in. One of the things <laughs> that frustrates me sometimes with relationships and, and how people talk about relationships yeah. is that uh, I, I want to scream into the the ethers or whatever that uh, relationships aren't just free therapy, mm-hmm. right? So when when I see memes and posts about oh relationships are so great because it pulls out all your shadows, maybe, right? But the healthier I get, the more clear I am that I want relationships where the challenges are we've committed to growth externally and projects that are external so much and that we amplify each other <laughs> like at, at home, mm-hmm. right? That we're not necessarily just dragging up all of our, our inner stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what comes up for me a little bit there. Mm-hmm. But um, honestly, I think that it, it's not that it can be challenging. It just is challenging um, to love unconditionally. We are judgmental creatures. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in a bad way necessarily. It's just, we do. We're constantly judging, evaluating. And once we get over even the judgment of our judginess, then we can just say, yeah, it'll be challenging. Mm Because we constantly have this programming that says, is this good? Is this not good? Mm -hmm. Is this bad? Is this awful? The morality of everything. Sure. Mm. And... We all have, we're all playing different games. We all have different training and upbringing. And I mean, I heard this a long time ago that um, 
someone else's way of doing something isn't just a failed attempt at doing things my way. Mm. Right. So it's hard to love people when they have their own ways of doing things that I might not like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? They might have no intention of ever doing it my way and that can be okay Mm. and, and lovable. But um, what I found is there's a lot of power in just owning things are challenging. When I start a business, it's going to be challenging. When I get in a relationship, it's going to be challenging. Mm. Right? It doesn't have to necessarily gut us. <laughs> mm. it, it can be a beautifully like, heart-expanding experience. But honestly, this year, I got to a certain place where my relationships were showing me levels of joy and love and acceptance that were challenging for me. Mm. So like, it wasn't like my shadow was being dragged up necessarily. It was that um, I was pushing against my upper limit barrier of how good could I feel in the presence of another. And, and so I, I really want to draw people's attention to, it's going to be challenging no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't have to be wrong or bad. And sometimes having things be wonderful is a challenge. Mm. Mm, the support and challenge. Allowing I mean, it's be. like that duality of nature. Mm. It's beautiful. Man, the last question of this, this section is, uh, do you believe in a greater power and what is that to you? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've referenced God a fair amount for somebody who claims yeah. not to be religious. Uh, <laughs> I do. I, I do believe in a greater power, and I don't know what that is. Um, and I did my first ayahuasca journey. My mother used to lead groups into the Peruvian jungle all through my teens, and I went for the first you, time when I was your mom did. 17. She did, yeah. Wow, what a beautiful like guy. a naturopath shaman. And it was always funny in Ubud because people would look at me dressed just how I am now and kind of like a, I mean, this is a custom made bamboo polo shirt, but still <laughs> it like, I, I, I dress the same here as I did there pretty much. And people would be like, you're the son of a shaman. Cause I didn't have the, the leather and feather sort of mm. look. But anyway, uh, the first time I did ayahuasca was profound. They gave me a double dose because I'm large is what they said. And, um, I got blasted Ooh, out of could imagine. the planet. Um, and I felt like I was connected to everything. That anything I wanted answers to, I just immediately had. And I had this feeling that I wouldn't be able to remember it all, but I wouldn't ever be separate from it. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's this sense that I've had for a long time. And my grandparents were very religious. And they would talk about the omnipresence of God but they would talk about it as like big brothers watching you. God is everywhere, mm. right? He knows when you've, you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or worse, right? Like it's, it's this judgmentalness that I heard from them. But I kind of sloughed all that off and heard if God is omnipresent, then that means that God is in you. God is in me. God is in our headphones. God is in your hat. And so looking at how all of this, is God. The devil is from God. <laughs> like all of, mm-hmm. all of it. And so now what? What are we going to choose? 
is is kind of what I come from. And so that does tie in a little bit to the, um, the idea that we were given free will. And so I do feel like there is some higher power. And I, I feel like we are the experience, experiential nerve endings of the divine. We're here to experience, to live, to feel. And that's our job, to live as full out as we can. Not necessarily in a hedonistic way, although that might sound like that. Mm -hmm. But how do I experience being Nick Wood to the highest level I can? Mm -hmm. And again, um, to make manifest the glory of God that's inside of me mm -hmm. is, is what I feel like my job is. I don't know to what purpose. I don't claim to have mm. that knowledge, but that's that's what I feel we're here for. I love that, man. That's a beautiful explanation. Definitely in-depth uh, answers coming in from you, man. It's hitting me hard over here. I'm doing my best to um, to stick with you. I love it, though. <laughs> These are my tougher conversations. <laughs> so thank you for that, man. So let's yeah, get into you. You mentioned before we we started going that like you wanted to make sure we went deep. It's like I I, I don't think I can help not doing that. <laughs> you've but, definitely uh, you've gone straight to the deep end, man. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit! Man, I don't know if I can swim that far. <laughs> there's there's this great book called uh, Essentialism, and I I tuned into that uh, after my injury and. There's a great episode of the Tim Ferriss podcast where he interviews the the author. I think it's episode 135. Anyway, um, Greg McEwen, the author of Essentialism, said, in life, some things are important and most things aren't. Mm. And so I think the things that are important are worth diving deep into, mm. to having opinions on and, and thinking about. And part of the task is being able to cut out everything else. Do you think that differs between each person of what's important to them? So you, then they dive into what's important for them and then everyone's sort of diving into different areas of life. I do. And part of like the model of success for me for a species is people doing that. Mm. Right. Again, um, being firmly on their path and actively leveling up to their full yes life. Like that, the, like there's certain, certain things that people love that I couldn't care less about, but I love that they love them. Mm. Right. NASCAR. Mm. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. Right. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know either. why, I don't know why that would be a fun thing, but some people love it. Yeah. Right. So, and I love that people love things. Mm. And my, my view is that, when people are firmly on their path and actively leveling up, that's a very healthy version of them. Mm. And so that excites me as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bolo well excites you, eh? I love that, brother. Mm. Man, let's get into you now. Now we've got your, okay. now we've got your philosophy <laughs> on life and all the beautiful perspectives you have, which are very lovely. Um, and Thank I appreciate you. them a lot. I'm curious because immediately I was like, Oh, I thought I was talking about me. Yeah, <laughs> we're talking about concepts. No, they, they were your concepts. That's like the first the first nine questions are good. To, it's like, where are you right now? And what do you think about? How do you think about things? And yeah. so obviously everyone thinks about, you know, those questions differently and they have different sure. quotes. They think of a different, uh, they think differently about conscious man and unconditional love and 
And it's funny because I can, some people go through that section really quick. Others like yourself and Die Die <laughs> was like, we just were like, whew, we spent half the, half the session here. So it's, it's been very interesting observing all the different personalities come through this. It was really fun when I had Die on my podcast it was one of the first times that we really dropped in. It was a few years ago now, three years or so. Yeah. And I was having a really rough day inside of that relationship I mentioned. And, yeah. and I left feeling charged up mm. because of how Di and his wife were with me and mm. that experience. And I went and caused one of the most magical evenings that I'd had in that relationship afterwards. Mm. But yeah, the morning was fights and the next day were fights. <laughs> mm. But that evening for that space was magic. Mm. and um yeah so i think it's so important to have magical people around it's one of the reasons why um di and i have been working together now doing a men's group for years is is because i thought this is this is someone i want to be around mm -hmm. more often mm -hmm. totally man yeah mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to catching up with him here in person that'd be good awesome yeah so back to you what yeah. did your what did your life look like nick as and I use the term loosely, unwoke, unconscious, and how does that compare to who you are today? And maybe tell a little, give us a timeline of when that shift or or when that unwoke version of you was. Oh, good lord! Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I, like I, knowing that this is the name of your of your podcast similar to what I alluded to before when people give me compliments, it's like, am I woke? Mm. Do I deserve to be on this podcast? Like now? It's a good question. And, and so I can look back through my life and there's always been an element of self-awareness and wokeness. Mm. And at the same time, I can look back in my life and see how lost I was. And so like, I don't see being woke as a final destination. It's beautiful. Um, and, and I feel like similar to like spiral dynamics, it, um, it might look like the same space, but I'm at a higher level. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think back. Like I, I went through a big, rough, um, abusive phase in my teens and that ayahuasca experience uh, helped cleanse me of that mm. and, and give me a point to anchor and build from, mm. which was really amazing. Did you live a, did you live a, a, a more of a conscious life from an earlier age, considering what your mom did? I think so. Mm. My, my, my mom was, uh, she has pretty severe scoliosis and was told that she wouldn't ever walk or have kids. And, and, her mother's response to that was to get her into things like yoga and alternative medicine. And it's why my mother is a naturopath shaman now. Mm. And so I grew up with, like when she went to Ubud, she was like, oh, this is me 30 years ago. She mm. was bored, right? I had to go and find other, other things mm. for her to be interested in. Um, so I, I, I was exposed. Like I remember we went on a trip when I was seven through the Yucatan Peninsula. And, and at that point you could climb all of the, the ruins and we would go and do ceremonies at dawn 
And I remember being very present for those, very um, clicked into the energy and the importance of, of being present. So wow. yeah, it, it almost feels like I, I got dropped into the, the potion mm. as a baby. Totally. In some ways. Yeah. Totally. And it's very interesting because I've had a couple others on here that were very much grew up like that too. Um, two brothers actually, uh, Kurt and Aiden Tropiano. And they, mm. they grew up very, with a very spiritual upbringing. And so they didn't really necessarily have that. And, you know, they looked at treating people very nicely and, and their sort of unwokeness was more directed at themselves. It wasn't necessarily, you know, um, being abusive, being drunk, doing drugs. It was more so insecurities and working through those, those smaller things within is that, was that sort of more you back then? Like, I mean, oh, you've been, you've been on a healing journey for years, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I do have three lines of demarcation and ayahuasca was one doing uh, the landmark forum it felt mm. very transformational to me and, and shifted mm. a bunch internally. And then this um, trauma release process just over a year ago feels mm. like I, I didn't feel like the same person afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess the skull fracture, but that's different. Yeah. And um, yeah. So you just hmm. got to deeper, you just got to deeper levels of your own truth. The internal stuff was, was challenging because I didn't want to um, label myself. And I didn't know how to handle what uh, I'd gone through. Mm. And so um, I love my mom. And sometimes when I talk about things like this, it, uh, I think she takes it like it reflects badly on her. But I mean, she was in a, in a rough situation too, in a, with her second marriage. And my now ex-stepfather put a lot of pressure on her to distance me from my father. And so I got declared a protector or something, a word of the province, which meant that my father had to prove that he wasn't abusive to have access to me again. Mm-hmm. They, and so there was a few years where he had to take them to court and, and uh, I got moved in secret out of Toronto into some place in the middle of the country and I wasn't allowed to tell my father. And that's when like the abuse started. My ex-stepfather mm-hmm. used to like, toss me around and and so it's essentially um it's called parental child abduction it's it's trauma I was, yeah but i didn't look at any of that i didn't know what it was called for years because i didn't want to be one of those people who was always rolling around in their hurt mm-hmm. and so i was trying to bypass it mm-hmm. while thinking i was doing a lot of work and it wasn't until i i came up with the distinction between um labeling and naming just saying that's that's traumatic. I'm not traumatized, like full stop forever, but I have trauma in my system or I had trauma in my system. And that allowed me to turn and look for ways out. And pretty quickly I found some methodologies that had a track record of working and, and I applied some and had amazing results. Mm-hmm. But, um, but for years, I just didn't understand why I couldn't function on some basic levels while parts of me felt um, really high level. Mm-hmm. And so I found that difficult to reconcile. And that's where a lot of my struggle came in. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, I felt like a waste of potential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting, man. So in, in that case, 
how was your what was your what was your vice through that that period through as you were growing up did you you know because we think about typical vices alcohol drugs what was yours yeah it's a great question i mean i've done programs where every participant is is asked to give up a vice and i couldn't think of any um i mean i've gone through stretches in my life where i i drank socially Mm-hmm. And I've been drunk, but I was never like a drunk. And I've I've done psychedelics a handful of times, mostly inside of um, very sort of sacred containers. So I I was never like into drugs. Um, I've looked at pornography, but I've never been like a porn addict. And so I couldn't think of things. But I think it was feelings, like emotions, like I was hooked on certain states. And so I would click back into the familiarity of feeling bad mm. because it, it felt um, like home. Mm. And so that was the hard one to break. Mm, interesting. So it was like a level of guilt, would you say? It was just, I mean, maybe, but it was normalcy, okay. right? So when Tony Robbins talks about how some of the basic needs for people are certainty and uncertainty. Mm. So I got certainty out of feeling a certain way, Mm. right? So it was odd for me to allow myself to feel liked and appreciated, even though externally people were constantly telling me that they thought I was wonderful. Mm -hmm. But internally that was so confronting to me that uh, I just couldn't hear it. And I would Mm -hmm. constantly go back to Mm -hmm. feeling low. What emotion challenged you most then through that similar period? Like anger, anxiety, shame, guilt, fear, sadness, depression? I think shame, probably. Shame. Yeah. Was that connected to something in your life? I mean, there was just a, a deep sense of unworthiness. I mean, I, like I remember one time um, my ex-stepdad was doing some renovations on the house or having renovations done. And I made a comment about what might be nice to include in the plans. And he jumped up, grabbed me by the throat and choked me up against the wall and said, I didn't have a right to an opinion until I made as much money as him. And so there was this constant reaffirming of I had no value. Mm. And so um, it was hard for me to, to reconcile that with how a lot of other people were treating me mm. where yeah, which was almost like I was a superhero. Mm. And so there was all this shame of, again, disappointing them, that I was about to disappoint them. Right? Because so you were that, beaten down by your ex-stepdad, physically yeah. and verbally? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so when, you know how people say, oh, prove the doubter is wrong. I didn't have doubters, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure at some point. But overwhelmingly, people would meet me with generosity, like a lot of privilege, right? Again, I'm, I'm tall. I occur as intelligent and caring and kind. And people generally meet me uh, with big open arms and warm hearts. Mm-hmm. And so I'd often feel like I was going to let them down. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was the, the shame inside of it that if they really knew, they'd see that I wasn't what they thought I was. And, I, and, and yeah, and if I tried to drop in and say, well, why, why do I think that? 
right? The, the part of me that could observe. It's like, based on what? Like, what have I done that, that I, I think is so bad? And I couldn't really think of anything, mm. right? Like, I'm no saint, but I'm also not uh, like a world-class sinner. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I'm a, a guy mm. and um, human. So nothing that, that I could think of was horrific to the, the level to which I was judging myself. Yeah. And and your relationship with your dad, obviously, I know you, you and your dad through the the men's group that you run. Yeah, How, was that process of your mum and your dad splitting up, and then your mum and the situation with your ex stepdad was that quite emotionally challenging for you? And you said that was sort of where most of your energy on you know growing up and sort of making sense of and healing that as an adult comes from. Uh, I mean, it's a combination. Like my mom is an extraordinary woman. Mm. and was kind of like my big sister and my my siblings are my half siblings and um and are much younger than me and it feels often like they got a mom <laughs> and i got a big sister who was trying to figure it out right like she has a big extensive kind of amazing backstory um where she had to leave her home country because there was a revolution wow and so she found herself in Canada, not being able to speak the language at 16 years old and never went home Wow! and had me at like 21 or something, 20, wow. no, 23. Um, what country was she still, from? Nicaragua. Oh, wow. And so she didn't know how to cook. She didn't know how to keep a house. Like her, her father, my grandfather was a multimillionaire before the revolution. And Whoa. she grew up with servants and then she lived in a... No shit. Um, yeah. And so all of a sudden she was this like single parent when I was four years old. Wow. And, and so that was rough for her and that was rough for me as well because a whole bunch of stuff came up. Mm. And so a lot of my struggle um, was that I didn't feel like I, I ranked as important. Mm. I felt like an afterthought but mainly my parents were trying to do the best that they could at that age. Both my mother and my father didn't really know how to function very well. Mm. They're in their mid, uh, early to mid twenties when they had me. And I can't even imagine if I'd had kids at that age <laughs> with mm. where I was at that age. Mm, um, but yeah, it was, it was a bit, it was a bit rough. So yeah. whenever there was any struggle, my mother would blame the fact that my dad wasn't around as much and she would change my school. So I went to 10 public schools in Toronto wow. and it's not like I was like violently delinquent or anything, but just anytime things weren't going great, she would change my school. And so a lot of my fear came with, if I show upset, I'm going to lose my entire world. Mm. Right. Mm. So I better keep this quiet. Mm. Interesting. Have you found have you found forgiveness for that whole process in your life? I mean, have you, do you see that you've worked through that and you can see that it's served you in your life and your journey? I think very much so. Yeah. It's, um, it's been beautiful to, to get to the other side of, of that. Mm. Cause I think for years I wanted my mother to know how much I hurt. Mm. And, and now more I'm landing in, the feeling of she did 
the best that she knew how. <laughs> and I turned out pretty damn well. I, I like who I am now. That wasn't always true, but I like who I am now. <laughs> and, and so there's no point in rubbing her face in it. Mm-hmm. Um, or my father's, my father and I went through all kinds of, um, challenges. And one day I realized that I was keeping the, ch- like the, the challenging hurtful part alive. Mm. And as soon as I gave that up, my father met me at a very high level and we've been Damn, uh, very close ever since. Isn't that powerful? You were- I had him blocked on every form of social media for over a year. Didn't talk to him. And then it it clicked in one day. I wrote an article about it for the good man project, but um, yeah, he, um, we hadn't seen each other for about a year and a half or more. And that clicked. We both cried on Skype (laughs) and, um, and then he came to visit me for the first time in Bali. Wow. Wow. That's just evolved ever since. Yeah, I like what you and just like you say said. About... Like he shows up to the men's group that I facilitate now. I know, I know. It was awesome to see that. I actually aspired. I, I wanted that. I longed for that too with my my mm-hmm. my real father. And now I was like, that's what I want to do. I love that. So it inspired me, man. I, it was beautiful to see you two connect like that in there. And I love mm-hmm. what you say is you just said I was keeping it alive. Oh yeah. Oh, isn't that powerful? You were keeping that. that <laughs> I just that, got that, chills. That feeling alive. <laughs> Have you seen the studies that say that human emotion only exists for 90 seconds mm-hmm. yeah, at most and everything beyond that we are re-upping? It's like the, with stories. The, that, that mouse with the lever and we keep pressing the lever to feel the same thing. Ah. That's when I, when, I, when I talk about I was addicted to emotions. I was holding on to things tight. Yeah. yeah. So forgiveness was, was a big life. thing for you. Yeah huge i wanted to be right i wanted people to know that they were wrong that they hurt me yeah and the the twist in that is i have to stay hurt yeah to prove that they hurt me yeah Yeah, so one can't heal inside of that dynamic Mm. (laughs) right like it it can't be like i'm doing great and you hurt me Mm -hmm. like well you don't look hurt so yeah yeah but i was (laughs) <laughs> yeah. right so to, to validate that narrative i had to stay hurt yeah. i wasn't conscious but yeah, yeah that's going to resonate with a lot of people i feel that one yeah. whose love did you crave most and who did you have to be to get it oh, that's interesting um it was positioned more often like i was craving my father's love so my mother would always tell my teachers that I was not doing my homework because I was upset because my father wasn't around or mm. something. And so that narrative was, was in place. <clears throat> and, um, and for years it almost felt like I was dating female versions of my dad. They had similar elements. And then as I healed with my dad, all of a sudden I started dating people that, I had similarities to my mom and that freaked me out. And I realized <laughs> that, um, that there was something there to heal. Yeah. And like my mom has this fragility to, to her physicality. <coughs> Excuse me. You get a cough. And um, so 
I love hugging my dad. I'm six six, two hundred and twenty something pounds, and he's six six and a little bit heavier. He works out heavy. He's almost seventy, but he's he's a big big lad. Mm. And um, and so there's a solidity. I feel met mm. when I hug my mother. I feel like I have to be careful. Like I, I might break her, and mm. and she'll say "ow" even before like I get close. And so the the idea of being able to feel mothered wasn't there for me much even though like she was there and we'd have adventures and we'd go to museums together or go on little trips um and so i, I do think that there's something there as well mm. i don't know that it it feels like it's missing now but i think when i was young uh, yeah the short version is i think <laughs> everyone's love i was craving everyone's love <laughs> just love <laughs> but, uh, just love yeah yeah i think we all are really deep down it just mm. it's funny I was a bit the same with you, just dad's dad's love. And then when mum, and it just switches. So I can I can relate to that. It's sort of like switch once you get sort of certain stages in your life, definitely. The man. frustration with my dad was that he loved me exactly how I wanted to be loved, but wasn't around much. Mm-hmm. But when he showed up, like he would show up to my school with, a few basketballs in the trunk of his car and, and take me to some school yard with, with hoops and we would shoot and he would mm-hmm. like encourage me to, to learn how to dribble better because he knew that I was going to be tall and that it's embarrassing to be six, six and not be able to play basketball at all. Mm-hmm. Right. So he wanted to set me up for, for some amount of success in different areas. And, and did and he? he would often do these things. Were you, were you a pro ball? You pro baller? <laughs> It was really funny because I've, I've interviewed NBA players and, and Olympic uh, basketball players and well, different Olympians. And it was fascinating to realize that I was larger and as a base, possibly more athletic mm. than some of these NBA players. Mm. And hearing their stories of being young and believing that they could play in the NBA and realizing I'd never felt that belief. Wow. I, I always talk myself down. And like I went to basketball camps and I, and um, I'd be brought up in front of the camp to show like good shooting form. I, I remember um, my team won the, the camp wide three on three tournament, but I just gave all the credit to the point guard. It's like, Oh, he just put me in position to succeed. That's so right? interesting, man. Couldn't, couldn't wrap my head around ever having that potential. It's like, you've never believed in yourself from an early age. Yeah. Well, it's, it's weird because it's Brene Brown says something that I really registered with. And she says for a lot of people, it's not that I'm not good enough. It's that I'm not extraordinary enough. And so it's not that I didn't believe in myself. It's just, I thought I was extraordinary, just not extraordinary enough. And, and it means it, it, it amounts to the same thing. Yeah. Right. But there's this, nuance to it that makes it foggy and Mm. um but yeah so anyway my dad would show up in in bursts and um and it was it was great i'd feel very met Mm -hmm. in in those moments and and my mom bless her heart was there more Mm -hmm. and just didn't know how to just give me what i wanted Mm. yeah i feel yeah there was one time where I was in, in the hospital for an, inj- uh, for an operation I had 
when I was 22. Mm -hmm. And my father and I had just gone through a big upset stage. I had been working for him. He fired me because I wanted to have this operation. And, and I was a little miffed about that. And, um, and he came to the hospital. And I remember I was hungry and my mom was like, well, what do you want to eat? I was like, I was totally doped up. It's like, just any, just, you've known me for 22 years. I, I'll order the same three things wherever I go. Just give me one of those three things. And my dad showed up with that. He's like, I have two sandwiches. Which one do you want? And they both were things that I would have eaten. And I got to just choose one. And that for me, mm. like I felt seen and appreciated. Like it was easy. Totally. My mom means so well, right? But it was labor intensive for me yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to get food, right? Mm. And it's a silly example, but it, it stayed with me. because so I, I get her heart. But it's so So interesting, Hmm. and that's as simple as it can be to feel love. You know, to feel like they know me, or I'm seen, I'm heard, like you say. And and I know for me, if I that happened to me, it's like, thank you because you've been listening to me, you've been observing me. You know, that's really that's really powerful, man. So, talk to me a little bit about the one of the lowest points in your life, and and. You know, was it something else, or was it over the last twelve months? And 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 honestly, was was suicide ever an option throughout your life for you? Oh, it wasn't an option. It's something I thought about. Yeah. And the last time was um, just before my fortieth birthday. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised because I had been feeling generally pretty good, but um, yeah, that that woman that I mentioned a few times. We'd gone to Vietnam together. I thought we were in paradise, nothing wrong, but she was just constantly upset. And I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> and um, it just didn't make any sense to me. Right? Um, I thought I was being caring and present and was paying for pretty much everything. It's like, we're right next to the beach. Um, mm. Like, what's what's up? <laughs> didn't cheat on her didn't say mean things didn't not that those things are necessary to be upset but she didn't get it and it just kept getting so bad that there was one point where i was collapsed in the corner in our hotel room she'd been threatening to leave for weeks and it's like you can go like i'll help you if you need money like but if you're gonna stay let's not keep doing this and it just kept getting worse and so i was in the corner on the floor um just collapsed in like the fetal position with a towel over my head just begging her to stop and i ended up punching myself in the head and that's when she got that i i wasn't okay anymore and and then she she finally left the room at that point she'd already gotten herself another room but wouldn't go to it (laughs) and and then we um and, and 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 then she left and and she she accuses me for of throwing her out in the street with nothing, but in my my version's a little bit different. Um, and but then we we both went back to Bali, and having her around, and it felt like she targeted some of my friends to get close to, and and she started sleeping with someone that I played basketball with almost immediately, and it just felt like this invasive force mm-hmm. that I couldn't. I couldn't get away from. 
and there's I started avoiding events um, because I didn't want to see her or them. And there's one day that I was eating uh, at this little restaurant the far end of town that um, like there's three chairs, right? A really tiny little place. And he came in, this new guy that I knew because I had been playing basketball with him and I'd known him for years. Good guy. <laughs> um, he came in and um, was ordering takeout for the two of them. Mm-hmm. And, and it just, it was everything I could do to keep it together. Um, I said a few nice words to him and, and um, switched my order to go and, and took it, took it out. And, and he was watching me the whole time until I got on my scooter and drove away. And I just started screaming into my motorcycle helmet and thinking about driving into traffic and the feeling of, I wonder if I took my helmet off and, and swerved into an oncoming vehicle, would it kill me? And um, yeah, I was just not okay. And um, I went home, Googled, like how to kill yourself. Um, and this article said, uh, killing yourself is easy. Killing yourself painlessly isn't that easy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I was reading that and was like, okay, I'll just go for a drive again. Wow. And I went for a drive and I found myself driving like not quite past her place, but like close enough. And I, I, yeah, I sent a message to a friend of mine on the other side of the planet and just like, tell me to go home. And he sent me a message just saying, Nick, go home. <laughs> and, um, and then I reached out to a friend of mine uh, who's like a high level facilitator and told her that I needed help. And, and she, uh, she told me to come over, but that she had just moved. And, and then she, she just moved to a villa that had the same name as my ex. Oh, and it was, and it was like, and and like that little stretch where I'd gone home before I like Googled how to kill myself. I turned on Facebook and immediately a friend's story. My ex was in a picture. Instagram, same thing. It's like I I just couldn't get away from her, even though I blocked mm-hmm. her on things. And I was just really really in a low space. And um, yeah, I just wanted to hide under a rock and die. Um, Mm. and I was turning 40 the next week Mm. and, um, and I just thought if I turn 40 in, in five years, if I don't shift my energy, I'm going to look back and feel ashamed of myself for not giving myself a proper experience. Mm. So I I asked like, who do I want to be here? Like, who would I be proud of being? And because I was sort of scared of women at that point and had a bit of a reputation of being a men's work facilitator. At my birthday turned into um, a 50 plus person men's group gathering. And I got three other facilitators in and it was powerful. It was this really powerful experience. And then uh, after that, um, I went and climbed a volcano and saw the dawn of my 40th year mm. on top of a volcano and 
yeah, just started writing the ship after that. But um, yeah. Man, thank you very much for sharing that. I really appreciate that. It's it's the, the the common theme that I've seen amongst you know the sixty three men that I've interviewed so far is uh, radical responsibility, mm. and and you finish that story off with exactly that quality. You had mm. to ask yourself where you would like to end up. You know, if you're turning forty in five years, if you don't shift your energy now, something's going to happen. And it's really really powerful to share that with that that level of depth with people listening right now but also to sum up the quality that you need to get to the state of overcoming that pain so i, I really... invited i invited the dude that oh, she wow. had been sleeping with because I, I i couldn't reconcile the feeling of inviting like having an open invitation to the men of, of ubud mm. and not inviting him because mm-hmm. again i'd known him for years and liked him sort mm-hmm. of peripherally but we were friends mm. And, uh, and he came and he, uh, yeah, he shared just how, how floored he was, um, by me as a facilitator and, and who I was showing up as. And then on the way home, he, he drove his scooter off the road into a rice field and he was fine. He hurt his ankle a little bit, but yeah, my ex accused me of trying to energetically murder him. Oh <laughs> So I was really proud that I still come back at you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Oh wow! Anyway. It was still coming at you. Oh man! Oh god! I went to a dance event on my birthday, and she showed up and was just trying to grind with every dude uh, like oh. around me, and would be like come near me and flick me with her hair, acting like she didn't know that I was there. And it was just wow. Yeah. So like. You got some yeah, challenge. Yeah, my birthday s- crying, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but man. but I climbed back up, and, and the men's the men's experience was was hugely Could powerful. Imagine fifty men, and on a did you have like a some sort of healing journey or ceremony? Yeah, I I built a, a framework based on uh, Robert Bly's book Iron John, and so I had each of the other three facilitators, as well as myself, take a, a section of um an experience and so we um we went through a process that was and and it's funny because like you've you've mentioned that i i like to go deep and i'm very comfortable doing so but not everyone is so i mean that experience just reminded me that uh it was a lot for some people Mm -hmm. right like there's an eye gazing moment that i was pretty comfortable with but some people had never actually met someone else's eyes Ooh, yeah. for more than a moment. And uh, what so other, what other, about what, it years what, later. What, what was the other, was it a long eye gaze? Was it 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes? So that was actually a section that I, that I facilitated. And what I was doing was going through different prompts. Um, and so I was speaking while people were, um, and, and, and we'd switch partners between, but I'm saying, look at the man in front of you. Is this someone who you could trust? Could you trust them with your money? Could you trust them with mm. right, your girlfriend or your wife? Mm. Right? Could you trust them with your family? Could you trust them with a secret? Mm. Could they trust you? <laughs> right? And, and so I would, I would usually go back and forth 
in terms of direction, right? Mm. Right. And some of the powerful ones were to drop into the love and presence. Because after a few rounds of this, that's what tends to be what opens up. Mm-hmm. And can you drop into the love and presence that you have for this person in front of you? And mm-hmm. can you now drop into awareness that they're feeling that for you? Mm. And that last one tends to just drive people like to a certain level of wow mm. to, to attempt to let that in. Mm. And it's a small town, right? So I'm not the only person who had drama, like relationship drama. So mm. there were people who had like dated the same people who suddenly were paired up for those sections and having Ooh. to go through, <laughs> to that. And, and yeah, so I had so many like thanks and, and moments of gratitude and, and one of one of the guys had, that I'd had as a facilitator set up a moment um, without me knowing that um, when he was done his section, because I, I was this sort of space holder and the last facilitator. Mm-hmm. And so when everyone walked in, I was sitting by a fire and didn't speak until all 50 guys had come down and been sage smudged. And, and so it was this really big moment and then and then again i was the last facilitator um and so between the third person and me uh, he had everyone rush me and lift me up over their heads mm-hmm. and sort of fling me in the air and to, to surrender to that experience again i'm 6'6 220 something pounds mm. and i'm not used to being lifted up mm. and so to trust that experience and then when they were had they done that for a little bit, they laid me down on the ground and covered me in flower petals. Mm. And from that surrendered space is how I started my process. And it was really beautiful that there was no pretense of I'm the king now, Mm. right? I'm in a power position standing higher than everyone. I was on the ground covered in flower petals and, and didn't get up at first. And just started speaking from there. It was it was really beautiful. Mm. I love that. Mm. And it's such a what a what a beautiful birthday. What a beautiful way to spend it. Definitely confronting for a lot of people. I can see that. But I mean, you, just taking people to that new that raising the new level of the, that within themselves. You know, once you go as deep as that, it's sort of like that's your benchmark and the um, availability that you have now to reach that far in your emotional scale is is great it's it's bigger so that's really powerful man and a lot of people were asking for another one so it was confronting for some and even for those people they they got value and wanted yeah. more which that's is beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. so what was a, a significant moment of awakening for you nick hmm. well i mean you said you had three you had three of those didn't you in your life the demarcations <sighs> Yeah, the the ayahuasca journey, the the landmark forum experience, and then the trauma release experience uh, were all things where I felt connected to the divine, mm. and and felt like I found myself in a position of heightened perspective. Right, you know that feeling when when you take off or about to land in an airplane and you look down and you see the city that you're landing in. Mm. I don't know whether you ever go to the idea of people are having lives down there. People are having moments of love, 
moments of longing, arguments. But from up there, it all just feels so peaceful to me. Mm-hmm. And so those three moments gave me that sense of um, grander scale and perspective. Mm-hmm. And so looking down and, and realizing that life was what I said it was, mm-hmm. and really n- nothing more. And yeah, when you talk about the matrix, I think that's that's the secret. And people tend to talk about the matrix like we're trapped in it as opposed to we're manufacturing it. Mm -hmm. Right? Like we are Agent Smith and Neo and the matrix. Mm -hmm. It's Mm. not just this victim thing of like, oh, I'm stuck inside of this. It's us. Find out how you can empower yourself within it or shift it yourself and see Mm -hmm. see what role you play. Yeah, what do I want to form? Mm-hmm. I love that, man. What healing modality was a big part of your journey, Nick? You, you know, you mentioned this this trauma release one, and I think yeah. we want to sort of go into that a little bit. Sure. And so was, was yeah. this, and was there something else as well? Yeah. So there are a few healing modalities that I I think are really powerful. Um, the one that I've been alluding to for the trauma release process is called internal family systems therapy. And it's like a parts integration modality that um, it's kind of like family therapy, but of your internal parts. And so at the end of the book, The Body Keeps the Score, they, they have a section where they talk about modalities that actually work and, and how many don't, most don't. And so this was one that they said two eight hour sessions with a therapist while on MDMA and people were just over their trauma. Hmm. Right now there's a little asterisk saying that because MDMA was a controlled substance that it was a, a smaller uh, group. So like three or 400 people. Um, but it was pretty much a hundred percent success rate. Wow. And so I, I thought, okay, well, I want to do that. And I didn't know anyone who did it. I didn't trust. Um, I've never done MDMA, still haven't. Didn't know where to get that in Bali. Didn't know a facilitator. And so I took myself through the process while on uh, psilocybin or while on mushrooms. Because that was pretty readily available in Bali. Mm-hmm. And I found out later that it, that is one of the substances that some therapists will use. Um, that it's, it helps the brain form new neural pathways and synaptic connections. And so I went through this process. And so essentially what you do is you have conversations with parts of yourself. I had conversations with parts of myself that I didn't like, that I wished would just piss off. (laughs) And so what you do is you talk to the parts of you that wants um, these other parts to piss off. And you ask them just to leave you alone with this part for now. Mm-hmm. and so the judgment kind of mutes then you have a conversation and it's kind of like okay what's what's up what what are you doing <laughs> right it, it feels very disturbing to the rest of of the group but what are you what are you up to and the point is to get to the goodness inside of this part and then to see what its burden is so it thinks it has a job that if it doesn't do this job you are in peril mm. And so it's not going to let go of 
trying to do that job and because it's really significant. And so you go through the process of relieving it of its burden, saying, thank you so much for your service. This other part's now going to be in charge of this. You don't have to leave. You can watch, you can observe. And usually there's a sense of release and relaxation. Like, oh, thank God. I didn't want to hold that up anymore. Mm. Right? Like if Atlas didn't have to hold the world up anymore, but could (laughs) trust that some other person or group could handle it, Mm. I'm sure you'd feel like an immense amount of relief. Mm. And so it's that kind of release. And so I made a list of things that I wanted to do that with, did all of them, opened myself up to any other areas that I hadn't consciously thought of. Some came up, cleared those. At that point, the the mushrooms started hitting pretty (laughs) powerfully. (laughs) And, um, and I don't think I've ever felt as seen and held and loved and supported before in my life. Wow. That's incredible. So I'd close my eyes and I, it felt like I was being held by 10 people. And oh, then I'd wow. open my eyes and I was alone. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's such an interesting process. Uh, you know, so you've got that. You've also mentioned plant medicine. Was there anything else that you that was significant for you in your journey? Uh, well, quite a few things. Um, so yeah. I got certified as an NLP practitioner when I was 19. Did And part of that was also hypnotherapy and something called timeline therapy. And so looking at um, forms of gestalt release, looking at how if we can get to the origin of a thing and release it, mm. then we can be released uh, now and into our future. So mm. that was a powerful concept for me. And then state management flew from that as well. Like, who am I choosing to be? And so that was important. Um, There were certain methodologies inside of Landmark. But I mean, honestly, at at a young age, coming out of that abuse cycle, I was trying to fill my head with everything I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. So Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, like there were just any tape series I could get. (laughs) I would beg, borrow, or steal bootleg them copy them yeah um and what comes out now in my coaching is that i'm not as addicted to methodology as i am to purpose yeah right so um what do you mean by that a lot of people do their thing and so a client will show up and whatever that client's going through the the facilitator or healer will do their thing that frustrates me because it's not one size fits all. Mm. And I remember I used to have such intense lower back problems that I couldn't sit in a car for more than five minutes without excruciating pain. And I have to like have my legs up on the dashboard and I'd be writhing and contorting around. And every time my mother would take me to, to someone, they would do their thing and it wouldn't really help. And then one day I went to this chiropractor who advertised, I was living in some little town and still in high school. And he advertised that it was $5 for high school students, right? The rest was all being covered by the Canadian government. And so I went and I was prepared for him to do his thing, but um, I just figured like I would keep trying till something worked because it was just awful. And 
he just looked at me. He had me stand and then turn to the side and then turn around again. And, and he just observed. He said, oh, well, your hamstrings are ridiculously tight, which is pulling on your glutes, which is seizing your lower back. And so he stretched my hamstrings and I never had that back problem again. Wow. And so for me, it's really important to drop in and not just look at what are the symptoms and not just uh, get hooked on one methodology, but what is, what is the point? What's the outcome? What's the purpose of what we're mm. trying to do? Yeah. And then what's the best tool to use? Yeah, for sure. Right. He, he who has a hammer to, he who has a hammer, everything occurs as a nail, right? Give yourself a toolbox. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like that, man. I like that perspective. Mm. What about your friend group? We've got three questions left. This has definitely sure. been a, a good, a good, uh, um, big episode <laughs> for those who are listening. It's, it's jam packed. But how was your friend, how has your friend group changed as you've changed? Yeah, I, I noticed that in a large way after I did the, the landmark forum. Mm-hmm. That was probably the biggest transition in terms of a friend group. Um, mm. Because that's quite a deep and program, isn't it? The Landmark Forum. It, it is. And and I did it when I was 21. Mm. And okay. so um, pretty fresh still from all the, the abuse stuff that I, it took me another almost 20 years to, to sort of turn and face and name and, and deal with. But um, a lot of my friends up to that point were what I later called complaint buddies right i would try to seem all clever but i was just complaining about life to them and after i did the landmark forum i didn't want to complain about life anymore Mm. i wanted to create life i wanted to generate life and energy and vitality and i lost friends and and that still sometimes hurts Mm. um but I think it's important to, yeah, to find people like the, 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 the framework that I use now is I want to be surrounded by people who amplify me, and allow me to amplify them. Mm-hmm. People who my nervous system feels better after interacting with them. Mm-hmm. They can challenge me right? They can call me out on things, but they do it in a way that, yeah, my nervous system feels better afterwards. Yeah. That is somewhat supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like that. that, that shifted, but it's been interesting because I think for many years, I didn't think I was good enough yeah. for the people I wanted to be friends with. Interesting. And so I, I talked myself out of a bunch of friendships and there have been some extraordinary people in my life very willing to meet me in in a level of relatedness mm. that I, I turned in with the other way. And and lately I've been reaching back out and, and adding those people back into my life, adding mm. me back into theirs. And they've been really lovely about it for the most part. That's interesting. That's so beautiful, man. It, it, it's It's one of those things it's just, inevitable really and that's what i'm starting to see in this pattern in the pattern with the, with this question with all the men is that yes it does change uh and there's a lot of men that have actually been quite accepting after they've sort of shifted away similar to where you've gone and they've been accepting of the, their older values still showing in their in their old friends and and to still welcome them in 
Um, it just means that they weren't necessarily spending as much time as they would have in the past. But it's, it's, it's like, you know, if your values do change, you're going to want to spend more time focusing on your values so the friends that nourish those values will shift according to that. You know what I mean? One of the things that I think I've always been good at, though, is finding quality people. And so there was that stretch where I lost some people. But I mean, earlier today, I was talking to a friend of mine from high school. We talk regularly and he's the, um, he's the, the, the person that I used to design my logo for life athletics, which is someone doing a handstand on, on the planet. Mm. And, um, and so it, it's, it's interesting because I, I do think that old friendships can be maintained and there's a value in that for me as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the, the things that I get judgy about is sometimes people will say that they need to get rid of everyone. Mm. And maybe some people do, right? But I've had really quality people through my life and, and I'm, I'm really grateful that some of them are still, uh, many of them are still around, yeah, still connected. That's beautiful, man. Especially since I moved so much, right? 10 mm. schools that I have anyone from school time around still oh, is mate. sort of miraculous. Yeah, totally. And I've had three high same. schools. Yeah, I've had the same. And it's like, I mean, you meet beautiful people everywhere. But again, at the end of the day, you can only spend so much time with certain amount of people too. So you've got to choose that choose that time wisely. There were years where everywhere I went in the world, I would run into someone that I'd gone to school with yeah, because right. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd gotten to school so many different people. And one time in Chicago, I saw this, this dude while I was waiting for a flight, walked by and I was like, I know this guy. I don't know where I know this guy from, but I know this guy. And he sat like a, a few chairs down from me and was just kind of minding his own business. And I did the classic, like, excuse me, do I know you? And he kind of looked up and smiled and he's like, do you watch television? And I said, no, not really. He said, oh, well, I'm on television. He's like, oh, cool. Like, and uh, he told me what, and I was like, I'd seen the show once or twice and, we ended up talking for an hour or so. Um, but yeah, it was Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was so hilarious. He's like, do I know you? <laughs> <It's> like, <"Man." laughs> do you watch TV? <laughs> 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 he was lovely. Like we talked about family and connection. And Oh I, my God. Yeah. Wait, did you go to school with him? No, no. I oh. just I recognized him from TV, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> because I was so used to always seeing people I'd gone to school with. That's where my mind went immediately. <laughs> I couldn't place him. Totally. I mean, he wasn't who he is now, where he's just yeah. like his face is everywhere. Oh, right? man, that's so funny. 15, 20 that. years ago. but Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so good. Um, brother, finishing up, wrapping up, sort of coming in towards the, the high of the, the, this section, what, what part of your conscious journey are you most grateful for? Oh. oh, dear Lord. Um, hmm. I mean, it's the cliche answer, but like all of it. Yeah, no, it's, it's quite common, man. It's, um, yeah, for, for years when people would say, oh, if anything was different, then you wouldn't be who you are today. And yeah. my response used to be, I, I wish I wasn't who I was today, but mm. now I, I really love who I am. And there is gratitude 
that I have for, um, yeah, what is? Mm. So there, there's things that hurt, mm. things I didn't like, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for all of it. Mm. That's beautiful, brother. That's beautiful. For some reason, I've lost your video. Yeah, I just saw that. I'll try to fix it. But we don't. We don't need it. That's okay. So, it's a, it's been an interesting answer for a lot of for a lot of people. Is that the the they wouldn't change a thing, and then you know when it first that first answer came up early on in the series, it was like. Uh, my suffering i was grateful and i was just like oh damn like that's beautiful like honoring honoring the purpose in the pain you know and 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 that's so it's like it's it it doesn't sound silly at all it is very common for men to go you know what i see why that needed to happen because it's it's why who i am today because of that so it's it's, it's the person i'm the most grateful for though is at the tail end of the like the other side of the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I get where people are coming from when they say that, but I resist saying it that way because I think there's a glorification of the suffering. Mm. And so either people are avoiding it or glorifying it often. Mm. Mm -hmm. And what I find is that not enough people are talking about what healthy would look like. Mm. They're talking about healing so often. Mm. They're not talking about what would happen if all the healing worked. Yeah. And that's where a lot of my interest is, is what would happen if it, this all worked? Who would, who would I get to be? And so being able to feel love again, where I went through stretches where I didn't think that would happen, mm. being able to move my body again, where, like I was telling you before we hit record, this time last year I was walking with a cane. Mm. Right? So I just fractured my skull. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what I'm really thankful for and i guess i can thank the injury because it took me through that process but no i i'm I'm thankful to be able to walk i'm thankful to be able to smile and to love and um yeah the injury might have heightened that experience but yeah what i'm thankful for is is the payoff i'll (laughs) i'll go there (laughs) (laughs) i love that man so to finish up what's one tip that you would give your old self who's just starting this journey Oh. Hmm. Hmm. So a big part of my, my coaching program is I, I have people create what I call a horizon life vision. So as far as they can see from where they are, what would, what would be it? And then who is the you that's living that life, right? And that's your horizon self. And then what I do is I have people start embodying that little by little in the present and micro decisions start to shift. Mm -hmm. And so what I would probably tell my younger self is to release the avoidance of the pain or the trying to fix the pain and instead to focus on who he wanted to be and how to create that. Mm. And to not avoid healing. That's not what I mean, but I rolled around in it for a long time. It wasn't actually healing. <laughs> I was mm. churning and 
And while I can sit here and say, oh, I like who I am now, would, would, I, would I love to have had a, another decade back, right? Just to, to have hit this point a decade or two earlier? Yes. Mm. And, and so that's, yeah, I think my, my younger self could have figured that out. Mm. Maybe. That's beautiful, brother. Mm. Thank you very much for your time, my friend. That was yeah, a beautiful episode. Was it was a bit. It was a big one. I loved every part <laughs> of it. Some people might have to chop that up into two parts. <laughs> if, I do uh, like <laughs> no, it's beautiful, man. I enjoy that, and I'm glad. To sh- I'm glad that you can give us your time to to be able to share your story for people listening now. So uh, I really appreciate that and honor that, man. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Mm. Thank you so much. And to anyone listening now who finished that one, um, <laughs> whether that was broken up into a day or two. If you do have any breakthroughs or insights, I would personally love to hear that. If you want to reach out to me on social media and you'll see Nick's uh, Instagram handle in the show notes, please do reach out to either one of us and share it with someone who may need it too. But thank you very much for joining us on your journey. Much love. And just be I got love in my eyes Bro, I can't see I'm gonna be Who I'm destined to be Wokeness is taking My old self away Yeah, I put love into me I'm spreading that love Yo, don't you see Grab your cacao And drink it with me Cause wokeness Is taking my old self away Woke man Wokey woke man Woke man Wokey woke man Woke man Wokey woke man Bring love and just be Woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, bring love and just be.